0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Better Than Before on the C-Suite Radio Network. I'm your host, Master Coach Tony Richards. I'm in a good mood today. Why? Because the Kansas City Chiefs, apologies to my listeners in the great city of Philadelphia, but my Kansas City Chiefs are the NFL world champions in professional football. What a great game last night. And I'll be honest with you, if the Eagles would have won last night, I still would have thought it was a great game. Most people who are longtime listeners of this show know that I am from the state of Kentucky originally, and I bleed blue, so my Kentucky Wildcats, I'm pretty happy with the way they played in college football, but in college basketball, they're having their ups and downs this year and lost a terrible game at Georgia this past weekend. However, I'm also a transplanted and... Also transformed Missouri fan. And the Tigers are having a sensational season this year after they have been down in basketball for the last couple of seasons. And they beat a very good Tennessee team at Tennessee this past weekend, which, regardless if Missouri would have won, which they did on a last second heave shot, that was a tremendous basketball game. I mean, if you're a fan of college basketball at all, you would have loved that game because the Missouri-Tennessee game was fantastic. It was even better because the Tigers came out on top. Same thing with the Super Bowl. Absolutely fantastic football game. A lot of offense. If you like scoring, it was definitely an offensive battle with two great quarterbacks, two great offenses, two great offensive coordinators, and two pretty good defenses I mean, it was who was going to hold each other down. And when Philadelphia punted on that fourth and two, I thought, hey, we might win this game because they typically are a team that goes for it, you know, in those kinds of situations. And when they didn't go for it on fourth and two and they punted and there's five minutes left in the game, I thought we can win this game because the Chiefs can run out the clock and score and that's what they did and I tell you I wasn't exactly super confident when we decided to go for the field goal (laughs) I was way more confident that we'd score a touchdown but I understand why Andy did it that way it was the right way to end the game and only leave seven seconds on the clock and then only four seconds then for the Philadelphia offense but It was a fantastic football game, and even better that my Chiefs came out on top for the second time in four years in winning the NFL championship. It's Valentine's Day today. Hopefully you have not forgotten to take care of that special relationship that you have with whoever it is, and you have done your hallmark holiday duty and done something for them to endear them to you at least one day out of the 365 days and wherever you are and whatever you're doing, I hope you're having a good Valentine's Day this year and you're in a relationship that you want to be in and it's a good one for you. Today, we're going to be talking about and focusing on real estate marketing. We're going to be talking about marketing as a subject, but we're really going to focus in on real estate marketing because we have one of the world's foremost experts in real estate marketing here today, Kurt Euler. Kurt Euler is joining us for a guest shot, and he's standing by to come on with me here. He's a globally recognized marketer, operator, and speaker. He's built and run businesses from startup to over $500 in annual revenue. He's assembled teams across six continents, been part of the small team leading an IPO of $880 million, And he's participated in dozens of acquisitions. He was at the front lines creating several of the marketing channels we all use today, including social media management, influencer marketing, and location-based marketing. And in recent years, he has focused on helping individual business owners and marketing agencies with a heavy focus on real estate. Kurt and his team have analyzed more than 50,000 real estate websites over each of the past three years and the agent businesses behind them to identify what works in modern marketing. So I am happy to welcome to our podcast, Kurt Euler. Kurt, glad to have you, man. Thanks for having me, Tony. You bet. So I'm thinking somebody who's viewed 50,000 real estate websites, you know a thing or two about that.
1: A little bit, and fifty thousand for each of the last four years
0: is what I've done research on. Oh wow! But you know, there's overlap in there, but I think
1: it's probably been at least about one hundred fifty thousand total.
0: Oh wow! Yeah, so I'm excited because you know, or two thing or two about this subject. So, what is it about marketing real estate that's different from other industries or businesses?
1: Yeah, no, great question. Because I've been in a lot of different industries. I've helped start three of the channels that we all use for marketing nowadays. But what's different in real estate is that home search kind of content. and so there's that thing where you know it's called an IDX. but when somebody you know goes to an agent's website or you go to Zillow or eQrealty.com or somewhere and you do a home search, well that data is coming from one of 600 different sources across the US And so there's this complex multi-million dollar technology in the back end that sucks in all this data of many different formats and puts it into something that the consumer uses. And so that doesn't seem too complicated except for most of those home searches, when you go to like an individual agent site, aren't what consumers wanna use. And so they still go to that big portal called Zillow. Imagine building marketing or running operations for a company, an electrical company, a SaaS based technology company where I spend a lot of time at, where like you knew that nine out of 10 of your clients were gonna get called by a competitor. Like your funnel would look completely different, but that's what life is like for most agents. They have some system that lets them collect contact information, but then what happens? They don't have the home search. That's an experience that their client would want to use. So their client goes to the big Z. And then what happens then? A competitive agent calls them. And like, that's not always bad. But if I'm a new agent, that sucks. If I'm a very experienced agent that's closing hundreds of homes a year, it that's sucks a, for
0: different reasons. That's a tragedy then. Yeah. Because then my reputation doesn't get leveraged at all. Right. Well,
1: yeah. I mean, if you're that, that, uh, you know, that agent that's really experienced and you're really good at what you do. Any of that attrition, that leakage, that's gonna be real, meaningful, big dollars for you. It could be hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. But if you're that newer agent, you're that part-time agent where you're a school teacher an accountant, a software engineer that's coming into real estate and you've been telling your family and your close fear, I'm starting to do real estate. Well, your aunt might really wanna work with you because she likes you, Tony. But what happens when that premier agent calls her from one of that big company that paid on average, a thousand dollars to get that lead, and he or she calls your aunt and is like, well, Tony, maybe just starting to sell homes, but I've sold 90 homes in your area in the last 12 months. Well, I don't want to put my aunt in that situation about, well, do you work with me or, or who you think going to be a better agent? I'd want your aunt to make the best choice, but it's often, in my experience, not the person that paid for the ad.
0: I see. I see. So what are a couple of things that real estate agents need to implement when they're doing their marketing strategy?
1: Well, most agents, I think that it does start with their own website. And it also comes to realization that the agents that have their site, it's or think they have a site, it's actually not theirs. According to NAR, so the National Association of Realtors, it's only about a quarter of agents that have their own site. But when you look at it, it's actually not their site. It's their broker's site. Mm. So it's curt.kw.com or curt.whateverbrokers.com. And the problem with that is, on average, agents change brokerages every five years. So some more frequent. Well, if that's my website, is something, you know, subdomain of somebody else's website, that website's not active anymore. Or at worst case, it redirects back to the main site. But either way, your clients want to find you, Tony, and they don't. And so, like most agents, even that think that they have a website, they don't have a website. So, in my mind, that first thing is you have to have a website that you own, it's your domain you own the hosting, you're not renting it from some platform that's giving it to you like a Squarespace or something. And you then use that to capitalize in any of the other parts of your marketing. The second thing is like, I love tons of things on social media, content marketing, email, but all of those algorithms, they're a fickle beast. When Facebook or TikTok change their algorithm and organic reach goes in the tank, you need to have been establishing your clients to find you somewhere. Like for me, that's KurtEuler.com. So if an algorithm changes on Instagram, well, you still know where you're going to find me. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's where I can do my lead gen. I can do things so much better. there. And so I think it's using that digital hub and then wherever, wherever you feel kind of drawn to, to use those places and not be used by them.
0: So the website is one, right? What's, what's the other two?
1: The second thing would be like, if, you know social media is a huge reach today it's great for organic and so you should go all in on whatever networks you're already participating in right. if you're not on tiktok don't jump in there my wife she she loves tiktok i have an account that's about all i can say mm-hmm. so if you were helping me with, you know with something it would be a huge change in my life to have me take out my phone and start doing something on tiktok but i'm on instagram every day i'm on pinterest you know a couple times a week so for me to use those platforms where i'm already at and just start where you're at. That's the second biggest thing.
0: You and I are in the same boat because I have a TikTok account, but I've not ever been on it. And right. I actually, I have a really good friend that loves TikTok. And I ask them questions all the time. Right. I don't utilize it at all.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it's a great platform. I know people that are wildly successful on it. You bet. You I, bet. Just, I just I don't spend a lot of time in any of the social networks too much for what I'm doing a ton of writing right now and, and speaking to people like you. And so- I just don't have time, and it's like I also know the TikTok algorithm is highly addictive. That's yep. the reason within China they use it for a different purpose than we do. It's a different version, especially for kids, and it's used for education purposes because it's so highly addictive around STEM top. They only put STEM topics into it, like. I I don't
0: always trust myself to put <laughs> down my phone when I need to. Twitter's my go-to, and then I use a little bit of Facebook, but I've pretty much cut my social media down to those two, you know. What's the yeah. third thing?
1: Well, and the third thing is, for me, it's, it's it all forms on con- on content, but, like, that's kind of covered in two, but you got to send it out to people. And so, for me, like, whether you're on any of those, the, any other channel, you're doing YouTube videos or Facebook posts, you need to be sending in an email at least once a month. And it's, it's not that hard to do. I mean, if you're doing any post, any content somewhere else, you could have an email, the newsletter set up to go out, you know, takes you 15 to 20 minutes to send. You just have to, as a real estate agent, block your time to actually do that. Cause it's, mm-hmm. it's so easy to see agents that are distracted about everybody tells them that I need to be doing something. Like I would love them to do a lot more in email marketing. I see agents are highly successful but let's just start with one email a month. That's better than nothing.
0: Right. Right. So I know people think they're supposed to be doing things because that's the thing to do, but I think it's important to know why you're doing it. And so I know you talk a lot about the fact that we now live in an influencer economy. Could you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, very much so in the case of real estate, but everywhere else, it's like, People are making decisions: what products they're buying, what companies they work with, especially what service providers they work with. And it's not just about it's not it's definitely not about the value props, the features of something that's on the website. It's about that personal connection. And so, like at Showcase IDX, even there, like the product is wonderful. I, I mean, we have people tell us it's two orders of magnitude better than the closest competition. That's incredible. But I know what's helped the company grow is we've elevated the persons involved reba on the team paulo tiffany so that that's who you're interacting with you see them in videos and things because it's their personal influence even if you don't really know them where it's like you're buying from a person and that's what's important they've started a podcast highlighting agents that have been super successful so it's that influence we're building influence with the potential buyer because like there's a lot of different tools out there real estate plumbing software there's tons of software that do the exact same thing any of us could could name. And so why should they work with you? And so I kind of view it as, hey, forgetting, like we used to think about in terms of brand, but it really is influence. Why should I care about what Tony is telling me about? Mm -hmm. And that's what I think people need to think about from the outcome. So whatever marketing you're doing, is this helping you care about hearing about the topic from me? And I think that's a very important part for marketing, which then drives things like, should you be posting YouTube videos? maybe if you think it's connecting with your audience.
0: And you feel comfortable doing it, right? If if you're going to do it on a repetitious basis, right? And you're going to build a base there and you feel like it showcases some of your strengths, that's what you should do, right? Because we all do things we enjoy doing. And so I love that because I see way too many people trying to do everything and it's all about a halfway effort, right?
1: Yeah, I think that's important is that There's no halfway efforts, but I think it's also important for people to realize you get better and you get good at things that you do with repetition. And so you might not be comfortable on video. Okay. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. It means like, like especially if it's a real estate agent, that's where I spend a lot of time, both at the big international brokerage levels where I spend most of my time, but I talk to thousands of individual agents. Well, they may not feel comfortable with it. Do 50 of them for 50 days, do some sort of video on some topic. What is a half bath? What's happening in your market? Talk about a local event and just do 50 days of it and then see how do you feel about it? Because I guarantee you'll both feel better about it at the end, but also now you also know what it takes to do that. And it's usually less, less effort, but your 50th will be way better than your first. The first keynote speech I ever did, I mean, I almost felt like I should have given them the check back. After my 25th keynote speech at a conference, even I was like, wow, that's like, that's I mean we're always bad critics to ourselves, but I'm like, I'm way better than I was that first one. the same thing with doing fifty podcasts. And so I think everybody should like the uncomfortableness is okay,
0: yeah, do it's a little bit of it absolutely. I mean, as a coach, you have no idea or maybe you do how many times I have told clients no one was good at anything coming out of the womb. Well, yep. I've never done that before. Well, neither has anyone. No one's right. ever done something before, right? So it's a matter of, yeah, there may be things that you may do that are not necessarily playing to your strengths, but there are things that you're playing to your strengths that you're not going to be comfortable with at the beginning, but it gets easier, you yeah. know, and you get better as you go. Are there Well, other- and I like
1: your comment about like the outcomes, because... Once you've done it and you realize like what the effort is and maybe you feel com- more comfortable about it, should you keep doing it? The answer might be no. Right. Like, I think it's really important to go like, what might I be wrong about in my business today? And I guarantee every one of your listeners is wrong about at least three major things in their business today. I- absolutely. Because I look back at my thing and and here's what nobody realizes. Do you know what being wrong and being right feels like? It feels the exact same until you realize that you're wrong and and doing something for six months or writing a check for something for six months. And you go, wow, something happens. And you go, not only was it like wrong, it was stupid. So that's happened to me so many times in the past. I try asking that question myself now. And I think everybody should ask themselves, Hey, I'm, I'm doing this on YouTube. I'm doing podcasts. I'm writing content. Could I be wrong about it? What's the real outcomes?
0: Yeah. You've got to realize that's part of the process. It's going to happen to you, so you might as well accept it and take it for what it is, and process that correctly. Which is, wow, I learned something there, right? Right. Yeah. What else might agents be underutilizing?
1: I think the biggest thing agents underutilize is, especially now, the markets changed so much in the U.S. They've underutilized like going back to their clients that are not actively buying and selling. Agents, like so many people in different industries, they're focused on what's my next lead that I can get dollars from today. Because of that, they miss out on referrals. So like in real estate, what I think about is like, agents love signing up somebody for that, it's called a CMA, that comparative market analysis. Like what's my home worth today? And you get it kind of dripped out once a quarter or something mm-hmm. big portal tells you what's the estimate of your site. Like when you actually go talk to consumers, They'll click on the email, but they're not interested. You know what they're really interested in? And every agent can do this in an at home search. They're interested in what are their neighbors upgrading in their house? Should I upgrade my bathroom or my kitchen? Well, you know what impacts that? If I know three of my neighbors have. And so you go back to your current clients and go, hey, Tony, I, I know I sold you that home two years ago. I know you're not, you love the neighborhood. You're not looking to buy or something. Can I just set you up for like an alert that once a week tells you what open houses in your neighborhood You can click through, see some photos, see what they've upgraded. You can walk inside the house because that's what an open house is. The other thing people care about is what is your neighbor trying to sell their house for? Because if you're actively wanting to move, now you kind of care about that CMA. Otherwise it's aspirational. I want to know, is my neighbor trying to sell their house for $750? And like, so that's another type of email agents could set up and they're not doing it today because they're so focused on the next client. They don't sign up their past clients for that. And if you do that, I ensure that assure you that you will get that client when they're ready to do a transaction, but your referrals will go up by three X because when that open house comes up, what happens when you have a friend that's been saying they want to move to your area, you forward the email from the agent you get every Wednesday, and then you forward it to them. That drives the person back to the agent's website. So you got a referral that the person didn't even mean to refer you. I see referrals go by three X.
0: I see. Can we go back to the social media thing just a second? This is just my thinking. I mean, because there is so much of easy access, social media is really democratized. I mean, anyone can get on social media, right? I mean, yeah. I I can go on YouTube after we get finished if I want to. I can go on Facebook if I want to. Anybody can. It's not like media in the past where you had to get access to it, and not everybody had access. And then also, it's sort of commoditized because there's a lot of different channels. So how important is it to set myself apart in social media is getting noisy, right? So if anybody can do it and there's a lot of easy access and a lot of people are doing it, then how do I make myself special and different?
1: I don't always think you have to be different. If you're trying to be the mass influencer, different is really important. Okay. But for the average business, whether they're a SaaS based technology company or a real estate agent, the average real estate agent is not trying to have, you know, they might like to be the next HGTV star, but they shouldn't be trying to get 10 million subscribers on YouTube. They should be trying to get a thousand subscribers in their local area. Gotcha. Um,
0: So just to put a face on it, like you're not trying to be Oprah Winfrey. Right. Right. You're trying to be the local expert.
1: Trying to be the local expert. And even there, there can be lots of local experts because like you might have a different niche. Like the agent that sold my wife and I our house, his niche with two other people he partnered with at Keller Williams was married couples in their late 20s to early 40s with young kids that pretty much went to two churches in Roswell, Georgia, or East Cobb, the county. That was their hyper focus. Well, they don't really do condos. They don't do other things. That's what they know very well. So they also knew questions to ask us about neighborhoods and what we were looking for and things that somebody who helps singles buy condos in downtown Atlanta would be to focus on something different. So you can have a lot of overlapping things. But again, my thing is like micro influencers, like that's what matters. And so you could have a wonderful real estate business or anything else by not having to differentiate yourself. Now, that's not not a problem to ask yourselves like that. Why is this different? But people often want to sometimes peruse different people on the same topic, whether it's local or not.
0: Well, you will know the numbers better than I, and I'll just pull some easy math out. So what you're saying is it's far better. If I could cultivate a 1,000 people in my local area, that's my big bucket, and I get 10 of those that contact me a month, that's 1%. That's fantastic.
1: And that's incredible. And you're going to have a better connection with them than if you had 10 million followers. You have 10 million followers in that thing. If you were a more vast thing, It's a different thing. Like, does anybody think that if Kim Kardashian or insert Tom Cruise or or a mid-level beat celebrity, do you think when that person talks about a product that they actually care about? Or do you think they got a giant check? Or even if it is something they actually like about, you don't know Tom Cruise personally. Like, his kids don't go to the same school as yours. That's very different than if the local, say, real estate agent says, man, this new microbrewery opened up, this new tapas bar opened up, and here's what I thought about it. Like the one, you know, the person's local. You might actually see them from local events, but you might also know that person. So when that person recommends something to you, even if it's a national product, it's a much stronger connection. And so as I'm primarily a big brand marketer, but it's like, Hey, there's nothing wrong with doing large VIP influencer campaign, but I will always take the long tail micro influencers. It's harder. Most marketers don't do it. But that's where the value is to individual businesses, um, small businesses, is saying, "Look, you can do something that a Nike can never do because you're already local to them."
0: Right. And so more you agile, you're more agile start. for your market, right. right? Yeah.
1: I have a friend. He was a salesperson at a company that we sold to Oracle. Michael. He's gone through. He's built a couple of companies. He's actually now the mayor of a town here nearby. Man, he was the youngest at the time, House representative for Georgia uh, for Georgia at the state level why was he successful as a politician? Why was he successful enough with that to grow multiple businesses and not be the mayor? Because he did coffees, local coffees every week, unless he was sick. And he did coffees. He posted on Facebook. Sometimes one person showed up, sometimes 15 people showed up and he still does it today. And so people have a connection with him, even though like he's still got a big thing and he doesn't do it because he he, wanting, he was wanting to be a politician. He was doing it because he wanted to just connect with people individually. And so Michael Caldwell is a wonderful example of what everybody could do. And so does anybody in San Francisco or Chicago know who Michael is? He's the mayor of a, of a city in Georgia, north of Atlanta. Nobody knows who he is, but everybody that in the local community, you know, he is.
0: Right. Well, speaking of that, speaking of journeys and having some degree of success and whatever, I know you've worked with teams of all sizes and different cultures and whatever. What have you learned in your own leadership journey?
1: I really value people with diverse viewpoints of mine. And so I, I care much more about surrounding myself with people that maybe me actions. I want people that have a bias towards action, that have strong opinions, they hold loosely, but I really value people that will challenge me and viewpoints and I often look for that when I'm hiring people. Like I want people to hear the term "strong, healthy conflict," mm-hmm. and not care about the strong, but say healthy conflict. I'd much rather tell you where I disagree with you early on, rather than we stumble down the path and we figure that out later. Because I look back even at myself, I'm like, "Gosh, I've worked in so many, I've worked in six continents. I've run teams in six continents, and still, even in the last couple of days, something bubbled up with me and another team member." where gosh, we both had, we part of the equation, but I knew it for the last couple of weeks and I should have brought it up then rather than let it continue to bubble up. And yeah. so I look for that in other people, including that kind of humbleness to heart. I want to hear stories from people that says, Hey, yeah, I agree with the bias towards action. It's also bit me before and here's how.
0: <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. Well, there's always an opposite to everything and i know you talk a lot about high achieving servant leadership i've heard much about servant leadership although i don't know that i've ever heard i mean that's where you're unique i don't know that i've ever heard anyone put the high achieving phrase with it can you talk about that a little
1: yeah i've been blessed to be part of a lot of companies companies we've taken public companies that have been sold for really large numbers and been great for investors and i look back at myself and other peers and i'm like There's a hierarchical leadership where you do what I tell you to do because I'm the boss or I say this as do. And then there's those people that take take it from a servant leadership approach. My job is like, if there's a job to be done, I'm gonna pull up next to you one and make sure you're doing it right by working alongside of you and helping kind of correct like a woodworker might if you're teaching that. And so my goal as a leader is to actually, the best way to serve my customers is actually serving my employees. And so acknowledging a lot of things and seeing how I can show up for them there's a lot of books around servant leadership, but there's only two that I would even vaguely recommend most people read because I'll tell you almost every book about servant leadership. They say you should be a servant leader. And it kind of falls into because it's the right thing to do. It, right. might, be, it might be a faith reason, it might be a, a not faith, but still a kind of a moral thing. Well, there's a book called Love Works, which is a little bit of a faith-based where a guy named Joel Mamby walks through first Corinthians 13 what love is in different ways. Most people use it in marriages. And he's like, he was the president of Saab USA and has run a bunch of other big companies since then. He was like, who would you rather work for? A boss that treats you and he walks through what love means and that. Mm-hmm. And it, well, for him, he kind of touches on it, but he really views the best way to make money and grow business is through that approach. But a woman named Cheryl Backelder, she transformed Popeye's Lena's Kitchen. And her book, Like she has a lot of that face. She has a lot of things. But her book is basically, look, we turned around that company and a whole bunch of others with servant leadership. You couldn't grow faster or higher without taking a servant leadership approach. And that's really been my philosophy that I've taken growing companies over the decades is, look, I want big numbers. I want to grow. And I also know, hey, there are times I might need you to work more hours. There's times we may need to go do things. So I'm not looking to somebody that's going to help me grow 5 or 10%. I want somebody that's going to go to war with me for the next three years while we grow this company.
0: I certainly buy into the concept and I coach my clients in that performance is only 50%. The yeah. other 50% is the right behavior. Oh, absolutely. And I think that speaks to exactly what you're talking about. And I am totally writing the name of that book down because <laughs> I really, I'm interested now. I, I've been wanting, I couldn't wait to get here today to talk to you about that because it just stuck out to me. So, It's great visiting with you today. I could go on and on. I know you have limited time, though. So I want to give you these rapid fire questions that we ask every guest that comes on the show. So if you don't mind, I'll shoot these to you. Let's go. What's the best memory that immediately comes to mind for you?
1: Working with my mom at like two o'clock in the morning when I was like nine or ten asking, hey, when are we going to be done raking leaves? And she said, when we're done. That, yeah. that will be done when we're done. I don't know why, but that's my best memory. I think I have.
0: Strong work ethic. What was your mom's name? Lona. Fantastic. Who's the number one hero in your life?
1: My wife. Her name's Valerie. Great. So, yeah, definitely.
0: Why is she your hero?
1: She chose to kind of step, step out of being very successful in work that she was doing and leading an agency to raise our kids. And she is definitely COO of our, of our household and runs multiple properties and things for us. And runs my speaking career.
0: What's the top value you subscribe to?
1: I mean, it is just, it is ethics. I mean, I don't know how to label it. I I try to to show up every day so that if, however I act in business, if my wife and kids set a videotape of every minute, including my thoughts about that decision, that they would still respect me.
0: Who's the most important person to you in your life?
1: Definitely my wife.
0: Okay. What's your favorite thing? Time alone in the woods what's your favorite food?
1: I'm pretty much a carnivore. So yeah.
0: Yeah. Most beautiful place you've ever visited. Blairsville, Georgia.
1: Why is that? Uh, well, we do have property there, but it's just gorgeous from a, a woods and mountains perspective, but it's the people.
0: First time I've ever had that answer. If you could describe success in one word, what word would you choose? Helpful. How do you want to be remembered?
1: As a servant leader.
0: If you could go back, this is going to speak to what we were talking about earlier. If you could go back and speak to a younger Kurt, what advice would you give him? Stop being an asshole. (laughs) Why were you being that?
1: I didn't know it. And uh, three big things that come up, a completely different podcast we should talk about, but that I went back to my mom and a couple of people in my life about like, these three things have blown up. I don't understand it. And so I was open to hearing it. And my mom goes, yeah, you're an asshole. You've always been an asshole. And I heard it then. And I was like, well, why would why have you never told me this? And she goes, you never would have heard it until today.
0: <laughs> you know, i tell just a real quick story. I'll try to make it quick here. But when I was a CEO, I had a general manager of one of my markets who had this same similar issue. And I was coaching him. And I said, so look, here's the deal. You can either be nicer or you can stop being an asshole. Which one do you think you could do? <laughs> And he said, stop being an asshole. He said that was the easier than being nicer. But yeah. it, it but it worked for him, right? right? I mean, so sounds similar. What's your favorite sound? The sound of a chainsaw. What do you associate that with?
1: We have a good bit of woodland property. And so I have been carving, I've been carving trails for about seven years now. Oh, wow. so I've cut down a lot of trees, but it's a good time by myself out there. And now with my son a little bit. So I'm looking okay. forward to my daughter getting out there with us.
0: Wow. That's got a lot of meaning to you. Progress, a relationship, a lot of good things. Out of all the lessons you've learned in your life, what's the best one?
1: The more successful I can be and stable, the better I can help other people.
0: That's fantastic, man. Well, we've been visiting with Kurt Euler. And he is a globally recognized marketer, operator, and speaker. And, of course, we told you before, he's built and run businesses from startup to over $500 million a year and had teams across six continents and has been a part of a lot of acquisitions. Just a wealth of information. I enjoyed this very much, Kurt. If somebody wants to find out more about you or they want to find out how to get in touch with you or your team, how do they do that?
1: They should go to my own website, com. All we right. talking about servant leadership. I have a free guide called the Definitive Guide to Servant Leadership that thankfully is going like a wildfire and it's free.
0: That's fantastic. Fantastic. All right. so you guys go do that, Kurt, you're welcome to come back anytime, man. I enjoyed yeah, this. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll continue on with Better Than Before. Well, we want to thank Kurt Euler for joining us here today on Better Than Before. Just a ton of knowledge and maybe we'll get Kurt back sometime because I'm sure there's a lot of other stuff that we could talk about, but contact Kurt, check out his website. And if you're in the real estate industry, definitely a lot of things there that you could utilize and pick up on no matter what industry we're in and what we do. And no matter how long we've been doing it, how much of an expert we are, we can always learn new things from other people. And, you know, I've been doing this executive coaching thing now for 20 years and have been recognized as one of the top executive coaches in the world. And even with a top recognition like that, and even with the success that I've had, I learn something new almost every single day. And I learn it from other people who do what I do. And I learn it from other people who do things in other industries that they're doing. And so we've always got to be open. And that's my mission when I have a guest on to do an interview, is to expose you guys to people who are out there doing it. They're at the top of their field, they have a lot to offer. And because you listen to our show, you can get the benefit of those things just by being a loyal person who downloads our podcast every week. That's our show for this week. You can follow me on Twitter at Tony Richards4. You can come over to our free Facebook page, Tony Richards speaker, author, coach, and hit the like button. And on Twitter, you can hit the follow button. And special thanks, as always, to our producer, Tessa Hall. And if you'd like to subscribe to the Monday Morning Memo, all you have to do is go to my website, clearvisiondevelopment.com, find the box at the bottom of the homepage, put your email address in, and you're in. That's how easy it is. And you get my thoughts about coaching and organizational development every single Monday morning as you roll into the week. You'll get three things that I'm thinking about right now and that might be beneficial to you. Three short sentences that hopefully you think are of value. You'll get a short little article. And you'll get a question that you can journal or at least prompt your thinking for the week. That's all in the Monday morning memo, which comes out by email every single Monday morning. Till we visit again next week here on Better Than Before on the C-Suite Radio Network. I'm your host, Master Coach Tony Richards, reminding you that everything gets better when you get